You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A well-known chef in the Lower Mainland's culinary scene is facing some serious charges tonight. Hunter J. Moyes has been connected with a number of well-known Metro Vancouver restaurants. Well, tonight he's facing charges stemming from alleged incidents of sexual assault. Nadia Stewart reports. Hunter Moyes faces three sexual assault-related charges. These date back to 2009 and 2011. Then there's chef Hunter Moyes. Moyes appeared as a contestant on the TV show Chopped Canada in 2015. He also appeared on a cooking segment on our morning show. Moyes is known in Vancouver's culinary scene and formerly worked in food services at UBC. They confirm he no longer works for them. Moyes faces a single charge of sexual interference of a person under the age of 16, as well as two counts of sexual assault. None of the charges have been proven in court. Nadia Stork, Global News. High speed is believed to be a factor in an early morning crash along Oak Street that sent one driver to hospital with life-threatening injuries. Investigators believe a white Mercedes SUV was speeding north on Oak Street and a white Honda Civic was traveling west on 49th when the two collided in the intersection around 1.30 this morning. The resulting crash sheared off a power pole and left a wide debris field. Our collision investigation unit are here uh, behind me uh, looking at uh, things like red light cameras is uh, a common step for us to do. Um, and we're, there's other avenues that they can take, other investigative steps to trying to determine exactly what the speed was. The driver of the SUV, a Surrey man, remains in hospital with life-threatening injuries. Miraculously, the two occupants of the Honda, both 20-year-old women from Vancouver, were treated for only minor injuries and released at the scene. A heartbreaking appeal tonight from the mother of a missing 25-year-old man who hasn't been seen in more than four months. John Hua has more on the mysterious circumstances surrounding Christopher Sean Couture's disappearance and his mother's tearful plea. It was a heart-wrenching plea from a mother desperately hoping for any news about her missing son. But making matters even more challenging was that Christopher Couture's abandoned vehicle was discovered here in the Chilliwack region. The 25-year-old had only recently moved to the Lower Mainland from Edmonton. His family now searching in unfamiliar territory with little information to go on. I need your help. I don't live here. If I could be here every day looking for Christopher, I would. So I ask all of you to be my eyes, my ears, my heart, and help me find my son. I'm missing a piece of me not knowing. Christopher Sean Couture is being described as a Caucasian male, five foot eight, about 190 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. His mother says he has a muscular build and has a noticeable scar under his left eye. Chilliwack RCMP say he was last seen on January 25th. Mr. Couture recently moved to the Lower Mainland and reported to work in, Ridge, in Maple Ridge on January the 25th, 2019, and may have attended a gym in Burnaby on that same date. Mr. Couture's abandoned vehicle was located a short time later in the Chilliwack region. The vehicle is a gray Saturn 2000, Alberta marker BXZ4755. Eva Couture says her son came to BC because he loved the ocean, mountains and weather. 
But he's not only my son, he's a brother, he's a grandson, and has an entire family who loves him and misses him. Now, considering Couture came to BC to work in construction, Chilliwack RCMP are asking companies in that industry to pay particular attention and to contact them if they have any information on what could have been Christopher Couture's last known movements or current whereabouts. John Hua, Global News, Chilliwack. It's day three in the first-degree murder trial for the man accused of killing Abbotsford Police Constable John Davidson. Oscar Arfman has pleaded not guilty to the charge. Today, the car lot manager where Arfman allegedly stole the getaway vehicle took the stand. Romina Dea was in court to hear the testimony, and Romina, the lot manager, described speaking to the accused just moments before the shootout. He did, Chris. Corey Thomas is now the second eyewitness to actually ID Oscar Arfman as the gunman. Thomas told the court that once he spotted the stolen Mustang across the street from the dealership, he boxed it in with his blue pickup truck. Thomas testified that Arfman was walking towards him and his boss, Mike, when Mike said, the police have been called. You might as well leave. The man said, I'll show you what I have in store for the police in a nonchalant way. He told me, move that piece of blank, referring to Thomas's truck. Thomas responded, that's not going to happen. Moments later, Thomas said Arfman shot his truck twice before fleeing. Now, Crown's evidence is Constable John Davidson was responding to the call of that stolen Mustang when Arfman shot him twice in the back. None of the eyewitnesses testifying today saw Davidson get shot. Now, defense was pointing out several inconsistencies in their testimonies, suggesting they relied on others and the news to ID Arfman, not their own memories. Chris. Romina, today was also the first time we got some insight, at least, into a potential mental health defense. Can you explain that? Absolutely. A slight glimpse there, Chris. Uh, defense introduced a new exhibit that we haven't seen before. It was a small notepad that was found in Arfman's uh, pant pocket at the time he was, in, he was arrested. And in it, there was a disturbing line. It read, I am Lord's mighty general here to fix things. We also heard that Arfman was stumbling and mumbling and nervous, and he may have been on medication. Chris. Romina, thanks very much. A retired city engineer accused in a deadly shooting spree in Penticton appeared in court today. John Britton is facing three counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. Shelby Tom was in court and has more on what Britton said that drew a reaction from the victim's families. Gasps from the gallery as accused mass shooter John Britton made a brief court appearance by video here at the Penticton Law Courts this morning. Britton is accused of fatally shooting four of his ex-wife's neighbors in Penticton on April 15th. Crown is seeking a no-contact order to prevent Britton from communicating with his estranged wife, Kathy Britton, to which he responded, she had nothing to do with this. That comment eliciting a reaction from family members of the victims sitting in the front row row of the gallery.
Police believe the retired city engineer began his attack at the north end of the city near Heels and Lakeview. Rudy Winter was gunned down while pruning a tree across the street from Britain's rental home. The alleged gunman then headed south to Cornwall Drive, where three other people were fatally shot inside two neighboring homes. The victims, Rudy Winter, Barry and Susan Wanch, and Darlene Knippelberg, all lived on the same block on Cornwall Drive, as does Kathy. Britain, the accused shooter's ex-wife. Police seized a black Volkswagen Jetta at the Penticton RCMP detachment after he turned himself in. Sources told Global News at the time that Britain's ex-wife had a string of disputes and grievances with her neighbors. Police have not indicated a motive in the fatal shootings, but confirmed Britain knew all of his alleged victims. None of the allegations has been proven in court. Britain's defense lawyer wasn't present today, so the no contact order application will be heard on Thursday and the case has been adjourned to June 19th. Shelby Tom, Global News, Penticton. Vancouver police are investigating a shocking attempted purse snatching that injured an 85-year-old woman and they're asking witnesses to give them a call. It happened around 9.30 last Wednesday morning as the victim was walking near Maine and Kiefer. She was elbowed to the ground by one man and after she fell, Two other men joined in and attempted to steal her purse, but the woman held on, and the men ended up running away east on Kiefer Street without the purse. The 85-year-old woman who was attacked is uh, in hospital. She suffered a broken hip and is uh, currently recovering from those injuries. The man who knocked the victim down is uh, believed to be uh, white, about 40 years old, about 5'10". He's wearing glasses and had a tan hat with a blue shirt. A uh, second male was indigenous in his 50s. He was carrying a red Budweiser bag and had long gray hair. I don't have a description for the third person who was involved in this. Well, almost everyone has one. Cell phones are now part of uh, an integral part of everyday life. He's got his over there. But it. they also come with headaches, often including unexpected fees and confusing contracts. The provincial government wants more protection for consumers. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the province wants your feedback. We love our cell phones. In B.C., 92% of us have at least one. But we also love to hate what they cost us. Like all my friends in the States get unlimited data for considerably cheaper than we do. I'm not getting what I pay for. You know, I, I'm paying too much. Now the B.C. government says it hopes to promote fairness and transparency when it comes to mobile phones, contracts and data use. We're starting by launching a consumer survey for British Columbians to gain valuable insights into the views of cell phone consumers here in B.C. Among the online survey questions to users, if their contract was fully explained, if enough time was given to understand it, and if sales staff were knowledgeable. This has been an ongoing concern for consumers. Greater clarity um, and ability for them to know exactly what they're signing up for, for us, that is definitely a positive sign. Mobile phones are regulated federally by the CRTC. A wireless code requires plain language contracts and gives consumers the ability to cancel a contract at no cost after two years. I think we would really like to see stronger protections for customers. So if something goes wrong, if you are given a misleading contract or, or promise from your provider, what is your course of action? And unfortunately, that's something that we have not seen dealt with at the federal level. So what can the province do? 
this is when the provinces start to take action, um, even in the areas that they have responsibility for, uh, then the federal government can be pushed to take further action as well. The cell phone survey will continue until July 5th. Results are expected to be released late summer. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A big pitch from an Indigenous group today wanting to buy a controlling stake at the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project if it happens. Keith Baldry has more on the initiative and why even First Nations say it would be a game changer. Keith. Certainly would be a game changer, Sophie. If First Nations turns out owning that pipeline, it's going to be very hard for a lot of environmental groups to mount opposition against a First Nations-owned project. Uh, but the uh, group is calling themselves the Project Reconciliation, and they're trying to get as many as 300 First Nations across Western Canada, B.C., Alberta, and Saskatchewan to come together and form a consortium of sorts to buy 51% interest in that pipeline for billions of dollars. Shane Godfreyson, former uh, chief of the Kamloops Indian Band, is one of those heading up this organization. We caught up with him in the library here at the legislature and uh, for him he says it's all about getting out of poverty and George Heyman, the Environment Minister of BC, basically BC doesn't want to get involved in what could ultimately be a private business transaction. Here's the two of them. We've always dreamed about having a seat at the table and this uh, ownership proposal gives us a seat at the table uh, with 51% uh, stake uh, of uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, we're very uh, excited about uh, the opportunity of, you know, being, uh, you know, basically calling our own shots here. It's not the business of the province to intervene between a, a business deal between Indigenous nations and private companies or the federal government for that matter. And it doesn't change the nature of our uh, responsibility to protect our environment, our coast, uh, tens of thousands of jobs and a significant part of BC's economy. So we'll continue to do that. All right, Keith, so how much money does this First Nations group think they can make on the pipeline if they own half of it? They think they can make quite a bit, as much as $199 million a year. That's the figure they're using based on uh, financing and what revenues they think can come out of that. And they pledge to put 80% of the net profit into building green, low-carbon uh, infrastructure projects. So it's an ambitious scheme. June 18th is when the government's going to make its decision one way or another. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Keith Baldry, as always, Natalie dressed there at the legislature. But there is now an updated dress code at the B.C. legislature. The debate was sparked in March when legislature staff told some women to cover their arms, prompting this sleeveless protest picture and an uproar over the right to bear arms. Now an updated dress code has been issued, and among the changes, bear arms for women are fine, and men no longer have to wear neckties. Right now, though, a decision by ICBC to split responsibility for a rear-end collision compelled one driver to go to great lengths to prove his innocence. Aaron MacArthur has more on what happened and how the driver eventually was able to prove it wasn't his fault. Willis Clark still hasn't had his truck repaired. He kind of he swooped in like, like this. Thousands of dollars in damage caused after a cabbie oh, yeah. rear-ended him in March. You can see the yellow paint from his taxi right here. The evidence seemed crystal clear. It was a rear-end collision near the Douglas overpass on Highway 1. Clark wouldn't have a mark on his driving record, and the cab company's deductible would take the hit. But when the ICBC adjuster called, Clark was told the accident fault was being split 50-50. And they said, okay, well, the taxi driver said that you hit him, you swerved into him. And I said, are you serious? Clark took matters into his own hands. 
out of his own pocket, hiring a forensic engineer to look at the damage. $3,000 to prove he was right. The engineer concurred, saying ICBC needs to do a better job of collecting evidence. Fortunately, uh, Willis uh, did not repair his vehicle. He left it uh, before, you know, while he was trying to make sure that things were uh, ironed out with ICBC. ICBC sent us a statement via email saying an overwhelming majority of accidents are assigned 100% blame for one driver. It's rare cases where the designation is split 50-50 and drivers always have the right to appeal. ICBC finally looked at the report and changed how the collision was classified. Not only did the report shift blame entirely to the cab driver, ICBC will reimburse Clark for the money he spent proving his innocence. Still, the man from the Sunshine Coast has been left with a bad taste in his mouth about dealing with the public insurer. Don't let ICBC bully you, because they will, they'll try. The truck scheduled to be repaired soon. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Good news for Toronto Raptors fans in Vancouver. There will be a large venue to watch the NBA Finals after all. Coinciding with the start of the series tomorrow, 33 Cineplex theaters from coast to coast will host Raptors viewing parties to celebrate the team's historic entrance into the 2019 NBA Finals. Tickets for the first four games will be available in person at the box office. The viewing parties are free, but limited to two tickets per person per game. A BC Mountaineer is adding his voice to the calls for change at Mount Everest, where 11 climbers have died so far this season. Chris Dare says the combination of too many climbers and inexperienced climbers has become a recipe for disaster that could have been avoided. The long, excruciating line to the top of the world, 8,850 meters up. And somewhere in that traffic jam, Victoria climber Chris Dare, Hi. who's lucky to be alive. I honestly thought I was going to die up there. The experienced mountaineer was one of hundreds of climbers trying to summit Mount Everest this year during a brief weather window that lasted for only one day. And that was the 23rd of, of May. And uh, what it did was it created horrendous queues and lineups uh, towards that summit, which put a lot of people in danger, including myself. Dare has been working towards the climb for the past nine years, part of completing the Seven Summits Challenge that would make him the 23rd person in Canada to reach the highest peak on every continent. He was saving Everest for last. Why not try to finish with a bang and that'll be it. But that dream quickly became a nightmare. It took us 11 and a half hours to get to that summit instead of the six that we were anticipating. Your body is breaking down. You're getting fatigued, and I knew we were in trouble. Dare made it back to camp, barely conscious, but he survived. So far this year, 11 people have died on the mountain, one of Dare's close friends included. And experts say as more adventurers set their sights on the most unforgiving place on Earth, much of the danger has become man-made. We need to have a much stricter requirements on who climbs Mount Everest. A lot of the people that have died this year have died due to their lack of experience. 381 permits were issued this season out of Nepal at $11,000 apiece and no proof of mountaineering experience required, sparking debate on if and how it should be regulated. There needs to be limits on the number of climbing permits given. It really needs to be done in a responsible way so that it could be done safely for that person as well as all the people around them. The experience was enough for Dare to retire from extreme climbing. And while he did reach his goal and finish the seven summits, 
the accomplishment is bittersweet. You know, working for something for nine years is great, but you know, to lose a friend is a whole nother ball game. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Well, BC's struggling honeybee population got a bit of a helping hand from Victoria today. Like bees around the world, ours are struggling to survive challenges from climate change, insecticides, pests and disease. Their ability to pollinate is worth $538 million to BC's agriculture sector. And so the government has announced $100,000 a year over three years aimed at preserving the critical resource. So this commitment gives beekeepers the support needed to explore, field test and implement best practices and techniques to keep their own bee colonies thriving. And it's to ensure that they're up to date on the most uh, up to date monitoring of bee diseases and how to respond and treat these diseases. And just to correct that, it's $100,000 a year for three years. So 300,000 total. Talk of impeaching Donald Trump is at full boil again tonight after a stunning surprise appearance by special counsel Robert Mueller. Supporters of impeachment are latching on to the fact that Mueller is stressing that despite the president's claims, his report on Russia did not exonerate Trump. Special counsel Robert Mueller steps before cameras, breaking his silence and making it clear his Russia report did not exonerate President Trump. If we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. Mueller stuck to the report he released last month on whether the president obstructed justice by interfering with the investigation. We did not, however, make a determination as to whether the president did commit a crime. Mueller says he never had the option to charge the president with a crime based on Justice Department policy. A president cannot be charged with a federal crime while he is in office. President Trump reacted quickly, tweeting, case closed. There was no collusion, there was no conspiracy, and we consider this case closed. He completed his investigation, now he's closed his office and it's time for everybody to move on. Democrats say not so fast. Special counsel makes clear that obstruction of justice, which he found substantial evidence of, is a serious crime that strikes at the core of our justice system. Everybody wants the president to be held accountable in the most serious way. No one is above the law, especially the president of the United States. Mueller closed by making clear Russia meddled in the election, favoring one candidate over the other. And that allegation deserves the attention of every American. He says the special counsel's office is now closed, leaving Congress and the American people to decide what happens next. Craig Boswell, NBC News, Washington. The company at the center of the scandal that's rocked Ottawa is going to trial. A Quebec judge has ruled there is enough evidence for a criminal trial against SNC-Lavalin for alleged fraud and corruption. The company is accused of paying bribes in Libya to secure favorable contracts from the late Muammar Gaddafi. SNC-Lavalin has been the focus of controversy after former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould accused top Liberal government officials of pressuring her to find a way to avoid a trial. If convicted, the Montreal-based firm could be banned from receiving federal government contracts for up to 10 years. Air Canada says operations are back to normal after last night's computer problem that caused delays, but many of its customers still aren't happy. The technical problems prevented the airline from boarding passengers, causing delays of up to three hours. 
A familiar refrain from grounded travelers was the airline wasn't offering much information about what was happening or when the problem would be resolved. We try to go to the kiosks, they're all blocked. We try to get some assistance and they're like, just bear with us. They only have two people working at the counter. And they didn't have any information. They just said, hey, there's nothing we can do. We don't know anything. Canada's new regulations coming into effect later this year will require airlines to give twice hourly updates to passengers whose flights are delayed. And while we're on the subject, quite an impressive sight in the skies over France today. Was, yeah, was it ever. Airbus jetliners, including that Beluga cargo plane, flying in formation with the French Air Force's acrobatic patrol team to mark the company's 50th anniversary. Airbus was originally launched by French and German ministers to revive their struggling aircraft industries and help post-war reconciliation. It's not exactly the happiest of 50th birthdays for Airbus, though. The company is embroiled in a corruption investigation and is in the middle of a cost-cutting austerity drive. In Health Matters tonight, with the number of breast milk banks still falling far short of demand, dozens of women are angry that their breast milk donations did not go where they were supposed to go. No, the women say they donated breast milk to a woman who posted online that she needed it for their own children. They've since found out the woman was actually selling the milk. Selling breast milk isn't technically illegal, but the women who donated are outraged they were misled. I felt really violated. You know, it's kind of like the feeling of someone breaking into your house. You know, you go in afterwards and you just feel violated. Um, and and it just, it, it gave me a really kind of a sick feeling. Yeah, um, this was meant for a baby. And, you know, I really hope in the end that a needy baby got it. Um, but you don't know who or where it's gone. And, and uh, it's, it's a cause really close to my heart. BC Women's Hospital has one of four milk banks in Canada. They screen milk donors and pasteurize donated milk for safety. Some remarkable news out of California, where a San Diego hospital has officially introduced a little girl who's believed to be the world's tiniest surviving baby. Little Sabi was born at 23 weeks, weighing just 8.6 ounces. That's about the size of a large apple. She was released from hospital today at a healthy five pounds. Her parents, who wish to remain anonymous, spent five months in the neonatal intensive care unit while Sabi grew. Her father says when she was born, he was told he had about an hour with his daughter before they predicted she would pass away. Amazing. Mm -hmm. It really is. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Only in Florida do you have alligators at your crosswalks. Only in Florida indeed. A driver in the community of Port Ritchie pulls out her cell phone as she and other vehicles wait for an alligator to cross the street. With a few close calls and sudden stops, the gator does finally make its way safely across all six lanes of traffic. Not quite in the crosswalk. Not quite. Close. But pretty close. Following the path a little. Exactly. <laughs> well, a new photo of an unusual-looking killer whale is causing a stir on social media, even in a province where whales are spotted on a regular basis. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the orca calf is making even the experts take notice because of its unique coloring. It was really ginormous. Whale watching is one of the top tourist activities wow. in B.C., and for a good reason. 
there's always something to see off our coast. It started at like any other day. Um, we went out for a whale watching trip. We actually saw humpbacks at first. Um, so we went and watched those guys for a while. Which was pretty terrific. But it's killer whales that top most visitors' wish lists. And yesterday, off Nanaimo, those traveling with Vancouver Island Whale Watch experienced that and then some. I noticed there was something a little bit off about one of the whales. Uh, it had a bit of a different coloration. I didn't know if it was just lights playing a trick on me. It was no trick. The smallest whale in the pod, a transient about one year old, was lighter colored than the rest, verging on white. It was incredible. Everyone was super excited. Um, I was very excited because it's such a rare find. Certainly something very weird looking. It's not an albino. So what is it? To a certain extent, this um, whale looks like it has something, for lack of a better word, we've been calling gray patch disease or gray patch syndrome. The Vancouver Aquarium's veterinarian has been working with other experts to better understand similar skin discolorations in southern resident killer whales. Similar, but not nearly as extensive as what's been observed in this little transient orca. Their best guess for a cause? It just sort of looks like a, a edema or swelling of the skin. Might be the equivalent of, of like acne in teenage humans. Most of the whales seem to, to resolve that issue. It only started turning white about a month ago. For all they know, it could revert back to its traditional colours just as fast. Or continue to delight those lucky enough to spot it indefinitely. I've never seen anything like that. Really, really incredible. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, you think you've seen bad first pitches? The ceremonial first pitch. Ooh, after the forecast, this one might just be the new champion. We'll show you how it went a little oh, later. No. All right. Poor, <laughs> poor gal. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. This morning, Christy, I thought it was smoke in the skies. Yeah, I mistipped that as smoke yesterday when I was looking out the window. Also, it's this marine cloud layer and not quite fog. It's a little higher up, but it's so thick in humidity. And when the temperature is cool in the morning, we get it really thick. And so that was it here earlier. And then as soon as things warm up, uh, or although the sun struggled today, that's for sure. It happened a little bit later, not until two, but we did finally see that sunshine and things warmed up. I want to tell you about this. We've got a new campfire ban that's going to be issued at noon tomorrow. You can look at the fire danger rating. We're at an extreme level across many parts of B.C. and through the north. So these are the ones that are in place right now. Now a campfire ban in the northwestern corner. That's the first campfire ban across the province. These are all a Category 2, and I'll tell you what that is in a second. But that includes all of the Caribou region and all of northern B.C. And now, as of noon tomorrow, it will include all of the south coast, central coast as well. So big change. So here's a look at what a Category 2 campfire ban, uh, sorry, not campfire, open fire ban is. So it's anything larger than 0.5 meters high or wide. So it's not quite a campfire. You can still have campfires, but you can't have any larger uh, fires in all of the coastal region. And I saw this map. I wanted to share it with you. It's from Agriculture Canada. Departure from average in terms of precipitation in millimeters. And this is over the last 90 days. All of these areas in brown indicate we've had 150 to 250 millimeters less rain than we should typically have this time of year. And a couple isolated points 
points show red. That means in excess of 300 millimeters. So it's dangerously uh, uh, dry out there, and we're lucky we're not dealing with what they are seeing in Alberta. Jetstream now driving all of that smoke east of our region, not into BC. We do have a number of thunderstorms. We'll see those pop up again tomorrow, but they're isolated, and it's because of daytime heating. Otherwise, sunshine and warmth, and that's the case all across the region. But a few pop-up thunderstorms are possible again tomorrow. For our region, morning cloud cover, afternoon sunshine. You know the drill, and we'll see that for the next few days. Here's your weather window for tonight. This is a shot of a little baby deer that is likely just minutes old. Deb managed to capture capture this on camera. Oh, great timing. Yeah. Already on its feet, more or less. Thank you. A little wobbly, I'm sure. (laughs) Well, a Chicago White Sox employee has joined the legendary ranks of 50 Cent. Is that how you say it? Well done. Thank you. Not 50 Cent. (laughs) Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen and even Barack Obama in the Bad First Pitch Hall of Fame. The ceremonial first pitch, which I can't decide whether that's the worst pitch in baseball history (laughs) or the best pitch first pitch in baseball history. (laughs) That's hysterical. A woman who had been named the White Sox Employee of the Month was given the honor of throwing out the first pitch pitch Tuesday night. Let's just say it was the wrong kind of strike. The White Sox tweeted out the picture taken by the team photographer she hit, saying, life comes at you fast. He wasn't hurt, and of course he has no hard feelings. And the gift that she gave to you was you're going to be now seen on national TV forever. I don't think I can thank her enough. Never knew that this was going to be my 15 minutes of fame, but actually Ron Vesley, the team photographer, said that out of the 35 years that he's done this, he's never had that happen. So glad I could be the first. <laughs> and the camera's okay? I love the reaction of the guy catching. He's like, yeah. oh, my God, I can't believe it. <laughs> so good. It's not an easy thing to do to throw no. that first pitch. No, no the nerves get at you, yeah. you know? Actually, speaking of weird baseball stuff, um, Carlos Correa, who's an all-star catcher with Houston, is out four to six weeks with a broken rib. You know how he broke it? Getting a massage. What? Really? I know. Who is massaging him? The Hulk? Like, how do you get broken rib massage? But he's out four to six weeks (laughs) because he broke his ribs. Well, I don't think I'll be hiring that massage therapist again. (laughs) All right, so everybody's going to gather at movie theaters to watch this game if they're not going to be at home? Do they not have television sets? Well, well they could watch at home, but if they want to be with I the I guess people, you want to be with the crowd. It's the, I know, it's not the same thing. And the popcorn would be better, too. That's true. True. Uh, yeah, it's much... You can't... If, you're, if you live alone, you can't be high-fiving yourself. It's not the same bit. <laughs> Says uh, a man with experience. I know. <laughs> um, believe me, it's not that much fun. Uh, game one of the NBA Finals on Thursday will be the first time part of the NBA Championship will be held in Canada. Of course, the other half will be in Oakland. Uh, There are likely going to be no Canadians playing in this series unless the Toronto Raptors put in Montreal's Chris Boucher, which is really unlikely. Certainly nobody from Toronto. Probably the closest thing to a Toronto guy in this series is Steph Curry. Steph Curry's connection to Toronto comes from the fact his father, Dell, played with the Toronto Raptors from 1999 to 2002. This is where he retired. Uh... Back in 02, I lived here for a couple years, went to school out here. He went to school in a Toronto suburb. That's him, number 12. He led that grade 8 team to an unbeaten season and a championship. But his connection to Toronto doesn't end there. Uh, My wife grew up in Markham, right down the street. So 
a lot of family history and, and a lot of, you know, that side of the family still lives here. So I look forward to coming back here every regular season and now to be in the finals. Uh, something I've honestly been looking forward to if they ever, you know, you know made it. So it's here and I'm going to enjoy it. Tugarask and the Bruins won game one. It's game two in Boston. Power play for Boston. The Bruins are the best power play in the playoffs. They're hitting at about just over 30%. And they'll hit here in their first power play of the game. Charlie Coyle scoring. And it's 1-0 for Boston. But Robert Bortuzzo puts this one in off Matt Grizzlick. It's not Pat Maroon's goal. It's an own goal, basically, by the Bruins. And it's 1-1, although Maroon does chirp the Bruins bench afterwards. Then, Joachim Nordstrom. And this does not look good on Jordan Binnington. Legs open, puck through, 2-1, Boston. But... The Blues tie it before the end of the first period. Vladimir Tarasenko, Schwartz with the shot. Tarasenko gets one, two whacks at it and scores 2-2. Tough moment here. Matt Grizzlick, whom that first goal went in off of, gets hit from behind. This really isn't a dirty play. It's just basically unfortunate position for Grizzlick, but Oscar Sundquist hits him. He goes down and out of the game. It's 2-2 late in the second period. Bad news for Bianca Andreescu at the uh, French Open. Shoulder injury. Now, she suffered a shoulder, shoulder injury earlier in the season. It's flared up again, and she had to pull out before her second round match. She was the last Canadian in the uh, singles draw on either side at the French Open. Okay, Mr. French Open, of course, is the man from Mallorca, Rafael Nadal. 11 French Open titles in his career. Truly feet of clay in a good way. Taking on Yannick Madden. In round two, won the first set 6-1, won the second set 6-2, and my favorite description of all time is Rafael Nadal, is this, he plays tennis like he really needs the money, and here is an example. He wins it in straight sets. Rafael Nadal is to the French Open, what Tiger Woods has been to the Memorial Golf Tournament, which starts tomorrow. That's Jack Nicklaus's tournament, and Tiger has won it five times. Of course, with his win at the Masters this year, the talk of Tiger possibly catching Jack Nicklaus's record of 18 major wins is back on. Tiger is at 15 major victories, although not making the cut at the PGA Championship slowed some of that Tiger talk down. However, Jack Nicklaus has always said, that Tiger Woods has the talent to win more majors than he did, but at 43 and with a history of injuries, it's going to be difficult. I played with Tiger, uh, oh, I don't know, this was for, for Augusta probably, I don't know, a month before Augusta. And he played just fantastic, but his neck was bothering him. And you know, I'm sitting there and saying, you know, really? He, he shot 64 and never, never, just every day was just perfect. And, but he said, oh, I said, I have a little problem. Uh, he's he's going to have a lot more of those problems. We all have a lot of those problems. You know, but if you manage them and you, you know how to take care of yourself, you know how to pace yourself, you can, you can do that. And he's at the age where he needs to, he will, he will and need to pace himself. He can't, he can't, uh, uh, he, he can't just uh, do everything everybody asks him to do. 
See what I was watching the Masters? Again, high five myself. Wasn't the same thing. No, yeah. It's not the same. Oh, so maybe the movie theater time. is the way to go. Just or you go can go to come over. the movie theater, randomly high five someone. <laughs> It's the news that fans of Jeopardy have been waiting to hear, and it's coming straight from the host himself. That's right. Alex Trebek tells People magazine the doctors say he's in near remission from advanced pancreatic cancer and crediting the best wishes of his fans for all the good news. For the man who wants answers in the form of a question. What is a metal kettle? That rhymes. This is a positive response. Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek updated People magazine on his aggressive treatment for pancreatic cancer. It's kind of mind-boggling, Trebek says. The doctors said they hadn't seen this kind of positive result in their memory. Some of the tumors have already shrunk by more than 50%. He adds that according to doctors, he's in near remission. Trebek announced his diagnosis in March. I plan to beat the low survival rate statistics for this disease. The five-year survival rate for stage 4 pancreatic cancer is less than 3%. The 78-year-old has continued to work while undergoing chemo. Thank you for your continuing messages of encouragement and support. He tells people, I've got a couple million people out there who have expressed their good thoughts. I told the doctors this has to be more than just the chemo. For Trebek, that support is part of the answer. Joe Fryer, NBC News. Positive news. He's well loved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Good Canadian boy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, lots of sunshine in the forecast, it looks like. Yeah, so we'll still deal with the submarine cloud, but it won't last as long tomorrow. I think you'll see it clear maybe around noon. So more sunshine tomorrow afternoon and warm. All right, hope you get out and enjoy it. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.